What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, the MFCEO.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. can't expect that everyone is as passionate about racing as we are. We can't expect that everyone is able to hear the silent call of the sea at 5am. Not everyone possesses the ability to smell the difference between rich and lean. nor the ear to differentiate the bark of two cylinders from four. It would not be fair of us to assume that the world understands the yearning and overwhelming compulsion that we have to push through pain, angst, frustration and failure. Some people might not understand the desire to test physical limits, conquer fear, or to tangle with the forces of gravity and physics. But we don't make product for them. Look to the future, but embrace our past. We study, we analyze, we race on Sunday so we can innovate on Monday. We exercise trial and error religiously. through our commitment to the pursuit of perfection. We learn. How to make products for the people that are capable of dedicating everything to sport. Whether there is a championship involved or not. Alpine stars, one goal, one vision.
Bono here from Grundahl. Kingsley does that five sideways. Brian, the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallon Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, Viral Goggle Brand, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Hey, Big MX listeners. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, and on this episode of the Big MX Radio podcast, uh, we talk to none other than Ryan the New Flockhart, uh, an absolute character within the sport of motocross, has been since 1999 when he turned pro uh, at age 15, uh, actually turned pro the, the year prior in 19. 2000 or 1998, but uh, uh, a spokesman for Canadian motocross uh, and motocross worldwide. The guy is an absolute fan of the sport that he's so uh, integrally a part of here in Canada. And uh, we we talk about his career. We talk about Atlas Brace and uh, and and all of the the advancements that those guys are doing to uh, increase safety at the motocross track. And uh, and you guys can go to atlasbrace.com to find out all things you need to know about that brace and, and how it works and how you're going to be become safer as a rider wearing that particular uh, um, that apparatus uh, or that piece of uh, safety equipment uh, I happen to find that it's uh, it's really comfortable to ride with I ride with one um, and and I found that uh, w- with the with the strapping down and I, I barely notice the damn thing and uh, it's nice and light and um, like I say in this podcast and I've said in the, in the past um, if this particular knee brace or, or neck brace rather allows me to be able to go to work on a Monday, uh, that it pays for itself already. So uh, um, if that also makes sense to you, um, if going to work for an entire week would uh, would allow you to, uh, to to pay for a brand new brace, uh, or if that if that brace saving you allows you to go to work for that week and and make that money back um then and then honestly it's paid for itself already and uh you guys can go look at uh atlas brace on instagram on uh, their website as well as uh, i really hope you enjoy this podcast with ryan um i will have uh for those of you who are listening uh here uh on the on your phone um a portion of this podcast we actually do a classic commentary uh of one of ryan's uh shining moments in canadian motocross his moto victory the second moto at day uh, so uh, if you do have a laptop or a computer uh, nearby and you'd like to follow along with us, uh, we, we do that. We do so inside the podcast and you can go to YouTube uh, and watch along on a separate device and you can start it at 1636 is the timestamp for the video and uh, we'll start it all together um, during the, the podcast. That's the timestamp in the video, not the timestamp in the uh, in the podcast. Um, so go to uh, Deschambeau 2003. Uh, find that on uh, Ryan Gold's uh, YouTube page. It's uh, Guaranteed MX. Uh, thanks super to uh, to Ryan for putting that up there. Love to watch all those old races. And 
we do we do a little uh, um, kind of uh, a commentary of that particular race and uh, and kind of pick Ryan's brain about uh, that particular uh, moto in which he uh, captured his one and only uh, moto victory. So um, I really hope you enjoy this podcast, guys. As always, please give me some feedback, whether it be uh, through email. You guys can hit me up uh, at bradgebhart88 at, uh, at, at gmail.com, bradgebhart88 on Instagram, and bradgmx95 on, in, on Twitter, where uh, you guys can communicate with me there as well. Give me some feedback, some requests. If, you, if I've, uh, I haven't gotten to a rider that you want, to hear from uh just let me know and I'll, I'll try and get them on the show and we'll, we'll talk some more motocross and uh, br- keep bringing you guys some uh motocross coverage around the calendar as we uh move forward towards 500 episodes uh before the end of this year looking forward to it uh thank you guys for being along for the ride with me and um as always thanks for listening welcome to the big mx radio podcast show brought to you by fly racing FMF Racing, as well as Atlas Brace. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, with us on the line. We've got the salty dog himself, another Canadian legend. Earlier, I was calling the, the 604 area code to get Al Dick. Now I'm getting a uh, another legend in his own right, Ryan the New Flockhart. How are you today, my friend? I'm oh, doing good, Brad. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I'm not quite the Canadian legend as Al Dick, um, but um, you know, I had some moments, I guess. Well, there's there's very few of us that can even carry that guy's jockstrap. To be completely honest, uh, the only guy to uh, take two overall Canadian national championships uh, for for the the total points champion uh, throughout the reign of Ross Rollerball Peterson, as well as winning that Triple Crown 125, 250, and 500 championships. Um, that that in itself is incredibly hard to uh, to to even touch once he did it he's only one of two people who have ever done it ross being the other guy who's ever done that but uh we're we're going to talk a little bit about uh your personal claim to fame as well as uh, all things new and exciting over at atlas brace so uh before we get to the the footage that people can uh, can watch along with us and we're going to do some commentary over top of uh what's let's get let's uh, get some particulars on uh on Atlas Brace, my friend. Last time we talked, uh, you guys were saving lives and uh, and keeping the, the world a little bit of a safer place. Is that still continued? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, things are uh, yeah things are good at Atlas. I mean, uh, coming into the 2018-18 season and uh, a few new revisions to our whole line of uh, braces. Nothing, uh, nothing super drastic as far as um, you know functionality and whatnot goes, but. Uh, some new colors, some new updated parts, a little bit lighter, which we're always trying to uh, to lighten things up. That's kind of got to keep up with uh, with technology and whatnot. So, a little bit lighter, and um, yeah, things are things are good. We're getting ready to do the launch on that um, actually in the next couple weeks um, on the 2018 lineup. Some of our guys have already been uh, been wearing them. Obviously, Anderson and RV at the straight rhythm. And um, and whatnot. So there's there's some of the new 2018 stuff kicking around, but um, the official quote unquote launch is uh, is going down here in a few weeks. That it is, and uh, of course uh, your brace uh, being on the shoulders of of one who uh, has won a, a mo- moto already uh, going heading into the 2018 season. Uh, El Ombre himself, Jason Anderson, taking the victory in the second night at uh, at Oz X. So uh, there's a little bit of a feather in your guys' cap. Yeah, no, for sure. Obviously, uh, obviously, with Jason being our number one, uh, number one guy in the 450 class, it's. Uh, I think he's set to have a good, uh, good season and stuff. So uh, we're we're pumped. Uh, anytime, 
anytime our guys are Atlas guys are racing, I mean, it creates content and whatnot for us for social media. So it's always uh, it's always good to have as many guys out on the track as we uh, as we can. For sure. And as far as you mentioned revisions and like, like the to the to the brace, um, like you guys are always trying to innovate uh, and and just change this thing to be even more flexible and, and service the rider as best it can. Um, what were some of the the key points to making it to making a great brace even better? Yeah, well, just a couple little things that we did this year. We did away with all graphics on the braces. So, um, obviously, when you watch Supercross or Motocross, you see um, you see our athletes with custom graphic kits on, and that's to obviously accommodate their team sponsors and whatnot. I mean, that's uh, that's super key, especially at that level. But uh, as far as our production uh, product, production line of braces go, we did away with all the graphics. So everything is hydro-dipped now, which means kind of right in the frame, similar to a, a goggle frame. So that actually lightened up the brace quite a bit because we did away with um, basically two, four, six actual pieces of graphic material on the on the braces. Um, so that kind of changed the look and, like I said, lightened it up, which is uh, kind of gives it a fresh, clean, very simple, um, you know, look to the whole brace. Uh, we updated the tether in the back, which is designed to flex. Um, over time, they would kind of uh, wear out and break, so we have a new tether on there that uh, is lighter than our old tether um, and about two to three times stronger as far as life goes on it. So just a couple of those changes. We uh, made some more modifications to the release system in the front. Always try to make that better and um, easier access and and, and whatnot. So uh, nothing super, super drastic to the brace as far as visually you look at it. Of course, the shape and everything is still, uh, still very similar. Um, but um, I think some big changes coming for 20, 2019 that we're, we're working on with a kind of a whole new uh whole new setup so no doubt well like you like i said you guys are always on the on the rise as far as uh finding new ways to keep us safe out there and uh, uh for all intents and purposes allowing guys like myself to continue going out there on on the weekends trying my best to uh, to not make a fool of myself and knowing knowing that uh, if i have this brace on me i give myself that much more of an opportunity to go to work on monday because i like i've said to you a couple of times on the podcast if that brace allows me to go to work for one day it's already paid for itself and uh and if it can let me go for a week for an enti- uh, go to work for an entire week i can buy five more braces to keep myself uh, safe and then if i wore that many braces i would look ridiculous but i'd be really safe right no absolutely and i mean i mean even this year alone brad we've had you know two guys that come from the supercross world of things uh privateer logan carno and uh jimmy albertson who both had severe back injuries last year broken back surgery the full deal that have reached out to uh, myself or to other people here at atlas and say Hey, is any chance I can can get a brace? You know, I wasn't wearing one before, and uh, I'm scared. I'm scared now, right? So, um, yes, little things like that that uh, you know kind of justify you know what we're all doing here. Um, we're always trying to up the game in safety and and this and that. I mean, the bikes are getting faster. Everyone's going faster. It seems the tracks are getting more technical and even sketchy at the same time. So, um, I'm all for you know safety and and what can we do to you know help prevent some of these uh injuries 
For sure. Injury prevention in motocross is absolutely key. Uh, all 85cc or younger riders here in Manitoba are compulsory to wear a brace of some kind. I know we talk, well, we talked in the past about uh, possibly getting some sort of a uh, Manitoba-specific uh, uh, like kind of a, a code or something like that to get the, as many of these riders uh, locally in that brace to kind of help them out because, um, like, rider safety, like all things, how many how many kids do you know of who have gotten out of the sport because of injuries of any kind and and this would uh, definitely uh, a product like the one that you represent would definitely go mo- uh, go, go a long way in keeping a lot of kids in the sport and uh, more riders on the gate is best for mo- for motocross yeah for sure absolutely i mean i've been involved in the sport you know well over 25 years now and you see people come and go and and some are on their you know own will and power that they leave the sport to you know pursue other ventures and then you see some that leave because they've had no choice. They've had serious injuries and um, and whatnot. And I mean, there's we all ride dirt bikes for a reason, and that's usually um, the right reason is to because we love riding them and they're fun. But uh, being hurt and busted up and whatnot is uh, is not what it's all about. So um, safety is is huge. And I mean, unfortunately, you know. Not everybody wears chest protectors. Not everybody wears knee braces. Not everybody wears neck braces. So it's uh, it's a choice that people have to make, and usually they they make the choice because they believe in it. Um, you know, all we can do, and all any other neck brace company can do, is try to prove that uh, you know there is you know facts and reasoning and and you know professional, uh, well educated people behind the products. Um, that we're all trying to sell to help improve the, you know, quality of the safety of the sport. So, um, you know, sometimes we sit here and we feel like we, you know, can slowly switch one person over at a time. And obviously you want things to happen faster and quicker and and (laughs) with a little bit less work. But um, if we can switch one guy at a time and, you know, it, uh, it all adds up in the end. Yes, sir. And uh, like I said, keep more guys on the track. And uh, and one of those guys on the track happens to be one of the guys that's on the phone with me right now. Uh, Arena Cross season is here, Ryan, and and that's when you make your uh, your annual uh, like uh, come back to uh, two wheels uh, in inside the friendly confines of some of the uh, the, the Arena Cross tracks across uh, well, just about anywhere. Honestly, it could be even in Finland, but uh, uh, like. Uh, have you ha- did, did you race in uh, in Armstrong? I didn't quite uh, look up the results prior to this conversation, but uh, were you able to uh, win another Gat Dash for cash and uh, and represent the 101 or what? Well, yeah, I was out there. Um, it's getting a little bit tougher for me every year. Obviously, uh, <laughs> every year I get older, I, I kind of uh, I don't get any faster. That's for sure. I like to say that I try to maintain, but. Um, yeah, I was there and, and I had fun, um, actually did better than I thought with the amount of preparation that I, that I put in. Um, I only rode for about 45 minutes, uh, in the month leading up to the, to the event was busy, went to the motocross of nations and monster cup and a bunch of, bunch of just normal everyday stuff that, uh, that I got to deal with. But, uh, yeah, ended up, um, yeah, getting a a fourth and a fifth in the lights class and a seventh and a sixth in the, in the pro open. So, um, not spectacular by any means, but considering with the amount of talent that was there, you know, with, with Pettis and Moffenbeyer and Carson Brown and Medaglia and, you know, Davey Fraser and, and, you know, some of these guys that are 
riding lots and you know still on the upswing in their their career there's by by no means is my uh, racing career on the on the upswing at all so uh um it's still fun to get out there and battle with them and and at least be competitive and that's my whole thing um when i'm not competitive anymore and when i feel like i'm just circulating the track that's when it will be time to uh not sign up for the pro class anymore Jeez, man. Well, uh, I, I, can't, I can't quite say that uh, Davey Fraser's career is on the upswing. I think he's just simmering. He's like a simmering pot of, uh, uh, of soup, my friend. That guy has been racing almost as long as you have. I think he turned pro, I want to say, 2005, roughly. Yeah, yeah, you're and, right. And, yeah, uh, yeah he, I actually grew up racing with – well, Davey's younger than me, of course, right. but we both grew up in the Maritimes, so uh, – he uh, he keeps ticking along, man. I give him credit. Um, I give him credit. Of course, you know he's not a not a podium a podium guy or anything. But shit, the kid still still gets some you know fifth and sixth in the in the outdoor nationals, which is uh, which is still pretty respectable, um, considering he's always been a privateer, never really had a ton a ton of support yeah. and whatnot. But um, I give him credit for for. Buckling down. I know he works every day too, so he buckles down and 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 makes it uh, and makes it happen. No kidding, that guy. One of the only uh, like like full season pros that actually lined up for that good times moto in 2007 at uh, at Morden um, for that for that awesome national where it was just teeming down rain. They they put the the pro purse on the line for anyone who was willing to go out there and twist the throttle. And I, I think he ended up actually second behind Manitoban, David Ladarni. Okay. Yeah, I remember that I was there. I was uh, probably uh, a lot to blame for getting that moto canceled. But, um... Totally fine. <laughs> That, that I, uh, was unreasonable. Yeah. That track was uh, unpassable. Yeah, it crazy. proved that it was passable, but it was barely passable. Uh, I got, yeah, yeah, it was gnarly. It was probably the worst mud race I ever raced um, besides San Francisco Supercross in 06 was a mud or two. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got fourth in the first 250, 450 motor, whatever you called it back then, MX1, yep. I guess. And uh, I remember my last lap. I was the last dude on the track. It took me over six and a half minutes to get around the track um, on the last lap. I was the only one still out there, of course, because everyone else got lapped. Um, but uh, I wasn't able to, like, I was on riding for OTSFS Suzuki that That's year. Right which was a quote-unquote factory team and we had good bikes but like my bike was so screwed after the moto like i wasn't going to be able to line up like i don't know um how it was going to be possible to to go out there and and do another moto i mean i guess the only guys that would have been able to do it were ones that had you know spare motors which we had spare motors but we didn't have enough time to switch things around and and get it all dialed in but um I took a lot of heat for bitching and complaining about canceling the moto, but uh, that's a whole other whole other story. No kidding. I think it had to be done, to be completely honest. And uh, I ended up getting uh, your teammate Mitch Cook's uh, uh, side number plate. So uh, in, in, yeah. in reality, I was a real winner on that day. That's right. Well, you, hey, Mitch Cook won the uh, won his uh, only four fifty moto and uh, overall that day. So that was a yeah. good day. Uh, good day for him. Maybe I, like uh, he probably I don't know how much memorabilia he has from that day. Maybe I should call him up and and see how much he's willing to uh, part with for uh, for a little piece of Canadiana there. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was good that day. I always remember he uh, he ran a recluse 
full auto clutch that year and I always because we were teammates and we weren't the best of friends back then we grew up racing together and, and quite frankly didn't love each other by any means um a lot of rivalry there and I used to think like what's this guy doing running an auto clutch like I never even crossed my mind ever want to do that well tell you what that day it sure paid off if you watch the watch the video of it um, he crashed a lot, but his bike never stalled, and he didn't fry the clutch out because he wasn't, you know, clutching it through the mud and ruts and stuff. So uh, he was smart with the with the full auto back then. Fair enough, man. Yeah, well, that 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 was a, a survival race, and and good on you for getting uh, fourth and fourth overall. Pretty good. That would have been a decent finish for you that particular year. Yes, no? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, was it, that was a. Six wasn't it? Oh six or oh seven? I don't remember what year, but oh seven, yeah, oh seven, yeah. I uh, I started to get some better finishes at the end of the season that year. Um, my season after that race um, was kind of I was not in a happy place and kind of not super happy with the team after that particular race um, for the reasons of being told certain things and I should um, you know whatnot. But anyways, yeah. Um, I finally ended up getting a good motor, and I know that sounds crazy to say that because I'm not that guy that was ever, you know, I believe that stock bikes are, are good, especially in Canada for the level that we're at. But um, my start sucked all year, and come to find out that um, I ended up getting a better motor after Josh Woods got hurt because he was on the team that year. Uh. In the last couple rounds, I pulled, I pulled like three hole shots in the last six motos and finished like fifths and fourths and sixths and everything because I was kind of starting better up at the front and uh, and whatnot. So. It turned around, but uh, needless to say, I didn't. Uh, I didn't go back to the same team in '08. <laughs> no doubt, uh, it's uh, that. That was uh, a, a, an experiment, uh, just not gone exactly how planned. And uh, but I think that uh, I, a lot of people remember you from those particular days. And uh, a guy who um, you've always raced with your heart on your sleeve, and I think that's why the fans always uh, really appreciated what you did. Yeah, I mean, back in those days, like from basically, well, really early on in like 2002, all the way till my career was pretty much over, um, I raced as much as I could. Like I would go, um, I would go to BC and ride arena cross, and then I'd go from there and I'd go to Denver, Colorado, and ride a Buku arena cross, and then I would drive back and do the World Supercross in Toronto, and then I would somehow logistically figure out how to get to the Vancouver one, which was the next weekend. And then I tried Supercross and it was like, basically I wasn't making any money, but I was having the time of your life. Well, I was, and I was getting experience, um, and doing stuff that not a lot of, you know, Canadians could say they, they did. I mean, the, the new age of riders now is kind of race, as least amount as possible. And I know there's like more money and, and whatnot. And the teams are a little bit more high profile and they have more control of the riders and stuff. But, uh, I just raced as much as I could because I didn't work, but so I couldn't just sit at home and, and not do anything. So I would race, make four or five, 600 bucks and then invest it into driving to the next race. And that's kind of how it, you know, went down. 
No doubt, and and one of the only guys who uh, throughout the the mid two thousands was was very active in the uh, in in two fifty Supercross and uh, flying the Canadian flag down there for us, my friend. And honestly, doing pretty damn good. I remember uh, it was was it two thousand and five or two thousand and no two thousand and six Toronto Supercross. I believe you had a pretty damn good uh, pretty damn good day. Yeah, I mean, I I always did okay in the in the supercrosses. I mean, I was never known for a supercross ride. I was, to be quite honest with you, I was terrified of jumping triples, like the just regular standard triples. For some reason, it freaked me right out. But uh, you know, I got better as you know time went on, and I just always thought it was so damn cool to ride a supercross in your in your home country. Like, how cool is that to be able to go to? I guess it was called the Sky Dome then, and and ride a supercross with with guys and stuff and um i mean the one year i got on the podium with nathan ramsey and and bobby canary i mean the field wasn't stacked by any means it was kind of when they first introduced the whole world supercross gp thing and there wasn't a ton of guys but i got third man and like i was on the podium with those two guys and spraying champagne and talking to aaron bates and i thought i was a damn hero (laughs) in my own mind and um that was pretty damn cool and i did it out of the back of my dad's minivan um on a bike that didn't have supercross suspension um and didn't even jump the triple uh the two triples until the main event like i didn't even do it in the qualifiers i was didn't feel comfortable and got a good start and and went for it so uh some moments that i always remember and you know got a world supercross gp plaque at my house right so that's uh, that's pretty cool. An- another thing that I don't have at my house that you have, man. Like seriously, that is really cool. And I'm sure, like walking up onto the podium, you're going to like Nate Ramsey, and you're like, "Hi, I'm Ryan," and <laughs> I got third. Yeah, he didn't know no idea who I was, and I mean, I didn't even know how to open the bottle of champagne. It was it was pretty, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. So uh, lots of good, lots of good times. And I mean, even in the arena cross side of things, like I did a lot of U.S. arena crosses. Um, the same series that we watch now, the Amsoil Arena Cross, a yeah. similar, you know, type of uh, competition and format. And I mean, back then, it, you know, it was Buddy Antonez and Denny Stevenson and Mike Jones and Pedro Gonzalez, all these guys that, you know, you, all, I always Holland. thought were so, yeah, Rusty, Rust Dog and um, Hagseth, and there's so many, so many guys, and like making those main events back then, and. Um, finishing, you know, sevens, eights, nines was a pretty damn good feeling um, to do that. So, um, lots of lots of memories for sure. No doubt, no, no, lots of memories uh, is, is is an understatement, my friend. You've been riding professionally, uh, at, at least riding the pro class, and and, and uh, either either. Uh, retiring and coming back, regardless of what you, you the the microcosm of your career, 1999 Suzuki barn door sized uh, shrouds on a on a 1999 RM uh, 125 and 250. Um, it's been that long, my friend. Uh, you have uh, have really kind of like you're almost like the Renaissance man of uh, of Canadian motocross. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, like, even, like, to this day, like, a lot of people ask me how old I am. I mean, 
I'm only 33. Um, I've just been doing it for a long time. I turned pro. I've turned pro at a super young age. Um, 98 was my first year pro, and I only did a few nationals on the East Coast that year. So, shit, we're coming up on 20 20 years now <laughs> that that I kind of was going after it. But uh, I started way, like I started doing these nationals way too young, and I really struggled through. You know, the 2000, 2001, 2002 was, was tough for me going through that transition period, you know, 8, 17, 18 years old. And um, it was tough, but I've been at it a long time. And, um, you know, some good uh, some good years, some bad years, some, some moments when I'm sitting around having a few beers with my buddies saying, damn, I wish I'd have done this differently or done that differently or, or whatnot. But, um, you know, it's all, uh, it's how it works out. And I'm still happy to be able to, um, you know, be you know, like I said earlier, be competitive and, and believe it or not, and this might sound crazy. I feel that I'm better and faster on the bike now than I was back even in the early two thousands. Um, when I was getting podiums and nationals and stuff like that, but I guess that's just with evolution of the bikes and, and time and stuff, but uh, I feel like I'm a better rider now than I, than I was back then. Hey everyone, let's take a break and listen to some commercials quickly. Then we'll be right back to the podcast. Thanks for listening. FlyRacing.com is the home of quality and innovation. The design team at Fly tirelessly rebuild and retool premium lines like the Evolution 2.0 and Light Hydrogen with features like Zipper Lock to prevent closure failures and EVO's BOA technology, which ensures the perfect fit. Complete your protective gear combo head-to-toe with Fly Racing F2 Carbon MIPS Retrospect and Fly's entry into the premium boot segment with their sector. All products and colorways are available at FlyRacing.com. In motorsports, the action pulls us in, and often we never get close enough to the exhilaration and athletes that amaze us. Although trackside seats are available, nothing gets you closer to motocross and supercross action than the collective experience. Dave Drake's has created an exclusive opportunity to get you closer to the sport you love so much. If you want an all-access experience with Adam or Tyler at Dicknap, Henry Miller, John Ames, or even the cat, AJ Catanzaro, you need to check out the collective experience today. TheCollectiveXP.com, as well as the collective ex on instagram is where you can find the collective experience do so immediately the collective experience nobody gets you closer what's wrong jeff i don't know jay well you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran oats and bran i didn't think there was such a thing that's what i used to think now i start out every morning with a bowl of amigos for extreme kids like us Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey, Big MX listeners. It's time for another commercial break. Please listen carefully to these, and we'll be right back to the show. Thanks. 
WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. Hey, Big MX fans. Thanks for listening to this podcast and hope you're enjoying it. I want you guys to head on over to TractionMX.com. TractionMX is the place to get your seat covers for any bike that you have, whether it be a Husqvarna, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha, KTM, you name it. These guys have a great seat cover for you. They're durable, they're flashy, they're eye-catching, and they're one-of-a-kind. The reason why they're one-of-a-kind is because you design your own. You pick the fabrics, you pick the ribs, you pick the everything all the way down to the stitching uh, color that they use on the seat cover itself. Traction MX is your one-stop shop to set your bike apart from the herd 110%. These seat covers start at just $69.95 American, and uh, the average turnaround is a one to two weeks. One to two weeks from now, you can have a bike that's looking completely different than it does right now. So head on over to TractionMX.com, start shopping, start designing, and make something special like for you today. Going viral with Viral Brand. Viral Brand is setting its sights on being one of the leading brands in the extreme sports market. From supercross to snowcross and snowboarding, and everything in between. Viral Brand is working hard to not only bring you premium products, quality eyewear, and killer style, but award-winning support with every sport. Head on over to theviralbrand.com and get tinted lenses clear lenses, 10-pack of tear-offs, and goggle bag for only $59.99. Viral brand products are available in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, and used exclusively by the Barn Pros Racing MX Home Depot Yamaha team for the 2017 season. Go viral with the Viral brand. Oh, it's probably because uh, now you're, you're you 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 can uh, ride with uh, your limits are kind of uh, <clears throat> opened up, and the fact that you know you're safe wearing uh, your Atlas brace. Yeah, well, that's right. The safety, I got, right. I got the safety on. Yeah, right? you're always worried prior to put on the Atlas that's brace. Right. No more worries. Twist the throttle. We're good to go. That's right. So I got to get pissed at Brady here, the the owner of Atlas, saying you kind of screwed my career back in the early days because. Uh, because you didn't come out with the brace until six years, seven years ago. Uh, Brady probably screwed a lot of things back then. Your career was not one of them. 
<laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> but uh, um, what, what I wanted to get into at the kind of uh, somewhere in the middle of this podcast um, was uh, the fact that we're gonna we're gonna uh, shed light and do some classic commentary, some some uh, voiceover of um, your moment in the sun as far as Canadian motocross is concerned. A checkered flag and a first place um, moto win in uh, Deschambault, Quebec, in uh, 2003. Uh, Derek Fisher carried the number one plate throughout that particular year and uh, and a young guy that uh just about won a couple of titles at loretta lynn's goes by the name of ryan sipes was also uh, ra- uh uh ripping off moto wins before we get into this moto i would love for you to kind of break down what this season looked like for you maybe rolling in and rolling into this this moto um your uh, 2003 tell me about it yeah, so coming into '03, uh, leading up in '02, I got uh, two podiums—not um, overalls, but two moto podiums. I was riding a privateer Honda through a local shop back in the Maritimes, and kind of was starting to figure some things out. My my 2000 and 2001 season were complete write-off. I was not focused, and you know whatnot. There was other priorities in life yes. uh, going on but 03 was good um i was um teammates with mike treadwell and ian hayden which are two of my really good buddies and still are to this day um treadwell actually kind of a funny story he was managing the team um in 03 even though he was still racing so that was kind of a, a weird canadian deal that would only happen here the rider player manager totally <laughs> so um, I spent a lot of time in the in the preseason down in New England with with Treadwell and Keith Johnson, John Dowd, uh, racing Southwick and and all the all the local tracks. And I mean the the pro scene down there, especially then, was really competitive. I mean you'd line up at a local race with twenty five, thirty guys on the on the gate, which is unheard of now for That's any insane. local pro race, which is unfortunate. But uh yeah, had a good um had good momentum coming in, rode some of the two fifty rounds on the on the west coast and had some top uh top tens and, and whatnot and um yeah, came into uh the east coast kinda ready to go and, and was typical for me. I can't remember if Deschambeau was the third or the fourth round of the east, but um either way it didn't matter. The first couple rounds I was you know, hovering around the around the podium but um always kind of just couldn't make it happen and um yeah came into Deschambeau and it was uh it was a different story and it was a good uh it was a good day and it was a weird day because um it was easy for some reason that day and I don't know if it was I was in the right mindset but yeah it was all good so what we're going to be watching here, and for those at home who are going to be listening to this, um, they can go to uh, to YouTube and uh, go to the Guaranteed MX page, uh, where where they can uh, they can watch this particular video. The video is entitled Canadian Motocross National Hyphen. 2003 Deschambeau. I will also uh, embed this particular video in the uh, in the description of this podcast on BigMXRadio.com, uh, and then you can watch along with us. We're going to start the video at uh, at 16 minutes 36 seconds. Uh, so select that, and uh, you can press pause on this right now and get that ready. And then uh, we're going to start the to, to the video, and the two of us will uh, to, will watch and commentate along. And uh, I'm sure you'll do mo- most of the talking here, Ryan, because uh, you were at the pilot seat. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, this is obviously the second moto. First moto, I got third, um, which I had to work pretty hard for. Third didn't get a great start, and um, 
yeah, third in the first moto, so I knew I was uh, going to be in contention. Um, you know, hopefully for the overall going into the to the second moto. So yeah, that was good. Here we go now. So uh, we're counting back from three to uh, from three here. We're going to start it, and uh, and those who are following along can help uh, can come along with us as we go three, two, one, go. And here it yeah, is. So, now, uh, yeah, so yeah. We're coming across the line here. Dangerous Don Davidson uh, with the, the 30 board. And uh, like, take us through this a little bit here, uh, Ryan. Yeah, so Deschambeau was kind of weird that day. It was kind of sprinkling on and off, and the track was not muddy, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't dry by any means. But obviously you can see there, second, uh, second place start um, behind French, uh, well, behind the four strokes. So that was kind of the the year the four strokes first started coming in uh, solid with the Yamahas, um, and they were always pulling good starts with uh, Kevin Gregoire and Pierce Chamberlain there right behind me, but uh, I think coming up right here, I make the make the pass this for the, the pass for the lead here for the lead. Yeah, yeah, up the up the hill, a little bit of uh, huckabuck going up the hill, but um, this was the first time I had led a, a national. Um, second time ever in my career um so yeah it was cool and obviously Derek Fisher went down he was the number one plate guy and uh obviously good so when he went down which I didn't know at the time was uh was uh probably a blessing in disguise because he was probably the fastest guy that day yeah he was going quickly and uh this moto absolutely horrible there that right there is Kevin Benoit <laughs> believe it or not in his one of his first matches ever number 26 still racing in the intermediate class that particular day yeah absolutely I couldn't believe that uh he's been around for a long time too so uh Ryan Sipes in the moto Sipes was going fast uh didn't quite get an awesome start but um you can kind of see him picking his way picking his way through the through and the he pack has his own issues here too and, and you're leading, and honestly, you're in full control, my friend. Couple of second lead, Gregoire falling off the pace, and uh, the, the rest of the guys are just kind of fighting for second place. Uh, and you developed a little bit of a lead only a few few laps into this thing. Yeah, it, like I said, it kind of all the cards fell into place. I was out there circulating around. I did a preseason race there um, before the season started, so I knew the track. This was our first year going to Deschambault for a national. So, and it was funny the the. Quebec Provincial I did there was the exact same conditions. Like it was almost um, the, the totally the same with it kind of being a little bit soft and, and soupy. So um, I felt comfortable. And when I was out there in the lead, it was weird. I was just kept clicking laps off. And I kept saying to myself, okay, if I can lead three more laps, then, you know, I'll be happy. And then three laps would go by and the lead would stay the stay the same and stay the same. And I'd pull a little bit. And uh, yeah, it was just a, it was just one of those motos that everything clicked. Absolutely, and, and uh, Sipes has issues. His issues. You see, uh, uh, Pierce Chamberlain going down there, as well as uh, uh, Derek Fisher hitting the deck again. And uh, and you're you're just breaking away at this point. Like the 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 funny thing about the track is is that it looks like the insides of the corners were really really hard and uh, tough to get a lot of traction. You guys were having to kind of go around the outside a lot of things, which kind of played into the hands of some of the 125s out there. Because uh, this, of course, the year before the four strokes really really came on. Uh, obviously, the Yamahas were still there, but uh, the 125s ripping around the outside of all these corners definitely uh, seemed like the fast way around the track. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was complete momentum, especially on the 125s. I mean, KTM bike was good that year, and um, the thing was actually probably one of the best 125s out there at the time. But uh, complete momentum everywhere. I mean, you can see trying to find the the outside lines that you know you could carry the momentum and and whatnot, and and just kind of clicking the clicking the laps off. Yeah, and like the thing is, is I think this is about the point in the broadcast where they'd mentioned that uh, you're in first place and they're not catching you, man. Uh, laying down those lap times and, uh, like you said, all things clicking. Um, that particular bike that year, uh, like, was it uh, was it a particular? Uh, oh, now now a little bit of a uh, uh, trackside interview. Uh, Galdi uh, talking to your mechanic there. Um, like, was that bike a, a rocket ship or what? I mean, it was it was good. I mean, I don't think it was a rocket ship by any means, but um, you know, it seemed to be seemed to be pretty consistent. Um, you know, every round that we went to and and stuff. And I mean, to be able to pull good starts on it was key. Um, obviously, Sipes go down there. When when I saw that, because you went up the hill and did a one eighty and came right. back down, and unfortunately saw him laying there. I mean, he was catching me. He was the only guy catching me at the time. And when I seen him crash out, I wasn't happy but at the same time i thought shit this is probably gonna happen where it was much well over halfway halfway to the moto so it was uh took a bit of weight off my shoulders and i started to focus forward to uh, forward again yeah do you think sipes knows where he is there when he's walking off the track uh he's like where am i canada uh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh yeah so no it was good obviously lost my goggles with a couple laps to go putting um, benoit it was, lap down. it was raining out yeah, Benoit the lap down. We should uh, we should make note on that on Instagram. Definitely, I'll uh, I'll, I'll grab a, a snippet. Actually, I, I did grab a snippet of this video. I'll I'll, uh, I'll repost it when I post this video. But uh, there it is, collecting the checkered flag, one hand, the 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 fist pump. Couldn't be more excited. And uh, of course, this this post race interview, which uh, I think Galdi for some reason did all the talking, uh, but. Uh, um, Pretty excited. You, 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 like, I'm sure even now probably lost for words in this uh, particular moment. Yeah, it's definitely a good feeling. I mean, um, I wasn't known back then for my, uh, hard work and, uh, and training, uh, training ethics by any means, but, um, yeah, it felt good. And I was, I was pretty stoked to, to make it happen, especially with how all the cards fell into place and, you know, everyone cheering on and stuff. It was, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not a, you know, a huge, huge moment, but uh, definitely the best one, uh, the best one in my my career for sure. And uh, I always thought, you know, after the race and going back, I thought, holy crap, you know, I won a moto. I didn't get the overall because Randy Valade went two or one two in the on the day, but I thought. Oh, it's gonna! I'm gonna get more of these wins and overalls and this and that. Well, it never, it never happened again. So uh, it was uh, it was my one and only special uh, special moment. Well, no doubt. Like literally, uh, one day ago, I talked to uh, Jeff Willow, who ended up winning the the 1997, um, or I guess maybe it's six, 96, 96 or 97, 96, no, it's 97. Right. Um, San Diego Supercross on a 125, and, and uh, like you expected wins after that, he said he didn't even go out that night. Didn't even like he he grabbed the trophy, put it in his truck, drove home, and uh, and just sort of kind of let it soak in. And uh, and that being his only uh, professional win, um, what, what, what was uh, like what was the night after like for you uh, after winning your first race and uh, and being pretty excited about it? It was actually 
pretty much the same. I mean, a lot of people who knew me back then figured it would have been a big night out in Montreal and uh, everything that you can imagine. But uh, I had a legitimate shot after that moto of of winning the championship because we went to Walton for the final round. Um, And I mean, I... Obviously, it would have been a bit of a long shot, but there was still a shot, well, at least to be in the top three in the in the points. Well, I went to Walton, and I struggled so bad. I, I don't even know if I got top ten either moto. It was so pathetic, and I didn't even finish third in the points, and uh, um, complete embarrassment of coming off a win the weekend before and, and not even celebrating the win because I thought I was be- doing the right thing. And, uh, yeah, barely even got in the top 10 at Walt in the final round. So I probably should have just went out and got annihilated after the race and uh, at least had that story to talk about, too. Lessons learned here, kids. When you win your first race, it is perfectly okay to party like it's 1999, or in this case, 2003. 2003, that's right. Well, that's awesome. Hit stop on it uh, it there. And uh, for those who want to see more awesome uh, motocross, uh, Canadian motocross action, um, Ryan Gold over at uh, Guaranteed MX uh, uploading numerous races. I love watching these old races, mainly because uh, that's like kind of my wheelhouse of when I was 15, 16, 17, uh, watching Sportsnet, um, finding out when the when those races were going to be on TV and just like hanging on those 30-minute broadcasts like they were absolute gold, because to me they were gold. Um, watching those races were awesome, and uh, and that was kind of, it was a very, it was a very special time in Canadian motocross. Uh, Mark, Mark and Brian were, were in, like really in their uh, their element as far as the, the, the announcing went. Uh, there was a ton of talent in and around that uh, particular the, the, the series is that, that those years and uh, also some just some great storylines and some great characters guys like Treadwell totally. guys like yourself uh, that was like kind of like the, the what connected people most to those races and uh, and you were right in the thick of things yeah no for sure I mean if you look back over the years I mean of all those videos and stuff we had some you know good dudes up here you know Phil Lawrence and yeah. Evan Lothridge and Mike Craig and Pedro Gonzalez and you know the Treadwells and the Johnsons and the Dowds and all these dudes there were some good guys that had come through um, and kind of used you know Canada as a, a rebuilding or a farewell or whatever you may want to call it to their career so um, I'm the same way as you Brad I love going back and watching uh, the old videos and kind of brings back old memories and um, as well as some anger at times, especially when I got good starts and went backwards because I was out of shape. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's something that we'll always uh, always be able to hold on to. For sure. And, uh, like, uh, I, I actually, I just remembered the fact that, uh, like, um, the one year with, with uh, Blackfoot Honda, they had Turbo Reef, which I'm not too sure if you raced him too, uh, too, too much or uh, had much uh, conversation. But uh, racing in the 125 and 250 class was Mike Craig for the first, I think, five rounds and then uh he he went missing in action uh before grunthal uh and then i actually got his front number plate off that particular bike uh that day but uh um like do you do you remember racing against mike and uh and turbo uh at all uh back in the day uh, yeah I'm, i remember that year well i mean i never raced against turbo that much because he was west coast and i was east coast back when they Okay, split yeah. the split the coast and whatnot, but uh, yeah, I remember that. I mean, Blackfoot always you were always wondering coming into the year, and I never really had the uh, had the opportunity to ever race for Blackfoot, of course. Um, but uh, you're always wondering, oh, who's who's Blackfoot going to get this year? You know, they're going to always end up with 
with a strong American or a couple uh, couple Americans that can make it uh, make it happen. But uh, yeah, definitely remember, you know, Mike Craig never really spent much time with him close on the track because he was super damn legit still uh, yeah. back then. But uh, I can always remember him whining and crying about riding four motos, and that was always uh, <laughs> that was always funny to funny to hear the drama that he caused in the pits. I think he actually got into a fist fight with Brad Hagseth after it. Nanaimo that year. That's and, right. Um, yeah, yeah, so it was uh, good times. Brad Hagseth, that's one of the guys that I'd love to have a conversation with, uh, maybe for one of these one time, just because uh, he is one of uh, the two guys that stole a, uh, a 250 championship from my favorite racer growing up, Darcy Lange, two years in a row coming up like five points <laughs> short from a, a 125 West championship. Do you think Darcy yeah. lays in bed, at, uh, lays awake at night thinking about those championships? Because I would. Yeah, well, I think the success Darcy had in Arena Cross yes. and uh, the money that he made and his Supercross success there that was short-lived um, before he got sick, I think that probably outweighs the, the 125 championships in Canada. But uh, it is kind of crazy to think that, you know, with the caliber rider that Darcy was, that he didn't win a Canadian championship throughout his whole uh, career. Lots of motos and uh, lots of overalls, but never, uh, never a championship. Yeah, no, not on the 250s or the 125s. Uh, of course, a lot of people ran into uh, that uh, that tough puzzle to f- solve. That was JSR. Even uh, even Superman and uh, and and um, Damon Huffman had a hard time with that guy. Uh, in, in basically in his prime uh, for those four championships that he had won. I believe he, did he win five in a row? Five in a row. Five, five, five in a row. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Um, and like, I want to spin back, uh, backtrack just a little bit to the fact that um, Mike, Mike Craig complained about about uh, four motos. That's something that you, as a fifteen-year-old, were racing uh, in nineteen ninety-nine. Um, like that, that like I think that's one of the things that I miss most about um, like those that era of Canadian motocross, having to ride the one twenty-five and the two fifty. Um, maybe not realistic now with how the series is ran, but I, I I thought that that added a really cool wrinkle to things because there was some guys that hauled ass on one twenty-five and they could not figure it out on the two fifty, and and vice versa. Uh, like um, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was it was it was crazy. I mean, ninety nine to two thousand was a transition year um, back when we rode the four motos um, in in the nineties. It wasn't the same level. So I mean, it was crazy. I mean, it was still super physical and mentally tiring to ride the four motos. But all of a sudden, when two thousand came around, that was when you know, semis were in the parking lot and everything seemed to step up and all these American guys came up and there were still guys thinking that they could do um, do the two classes, but the, the level of competition race, you know, was so much higher that uh, it just was different and tougher. I mean, I couldn't imagine, you know, anybody, even if it was allowed to, you couldn't do the... I mean, there are still a couple guys that try to do the four motos now, but it's not realistic. The, the, it's just the pace is too fast. Yeah, absolutely. Like you guys are spent after two motos. Uh, I couldn't imagine doubling that workload. But uh, the fact is, is that like, there was a lot of guys that uh, that made it happen. One twenty five, two fifty, um, and sometimes on the four strokes as well. Uh, if if they happen to ride a Yamaha at, the, at that particular time. But to me, 
Nothing's cooler than having matching 125 250s. Literally, the only thing different between the two uh, is is the color of the number plates and uh, obviously the motor inside. But uh, just the look of mm-hmm. just the lineup of those bikes at the teams. Like I remember Richmond Gowan had like eight bikes all sitting there for their four riders, <laughs> and like every single one yeah. of them is identical. That was a cool time in Canadian motocross. Yeah, and that's what's irritating now about even arena cross, like. I mean, I still ride the 250 and the 450 just because I'm stubborn, but, like, all these dudes are riding just 250Fs. You can ride them in both classes, but it doesn't separate because some guys, you're always better on either the 125 or the 250, so it's kind of frustrating that, like, it's just the same. We might as well just have two main events, not two classes, because what's the point? We're all basically riding the same bike. So it's taken away some of that, you know, oh, my God, the 250 class is coming up. And, like, the 250 class was the premier class, you know, over the 125. So it's uh, it's kind of irritating, you know, the way that the sport has gone in that aspect. But uh, it's just the way that it is, right? Yeah, I always find that funny how, like, in arena cross, uh, whether it be uh, on this side of the border or down down and down south, the the champion in both classes rides a 250F. Um, like, I don't think you can even ride a 450 in arena cross no. in in the states. And no. it's like, like, is there, should there be a 250 class? Like, I really like 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 I, I or should it just be like a. Uh, another support class uh, that you also ride 250s in order to just like run more more main events just for the fact that uh, um, it just seems different it kind of seems odd to me and yeah there's and there, honestly there's a lot of guys who uh, if they were to ride the the little bike in the in the in the, the 450 class or the open class uh, they actually have a bit of an advantage because they handle better uh, you can kind of mm-hmm. ring it you can ring its neck a little bit more than than a 450 like totally. a 450 inside a hockey rink uh, you know as uh, better than probably most people that is uh, um, that, that's a, a tough beast to, to, to tame. It, it takes a different type of riding style, and I mean, I no disrespect to some of the guys that are riding, you know, even the local BC Ring Across series, but like a 450 inside takes some skill to ride, and it was no different back in the day when we ran 125s and 250s. Like the 252 stroke was the harder bike to ride indoors. Um, depending on the track, but especially in a hockey arena. So um, there's some dudes now that, like, if they were on a 450 indoors, it would be kind of scary. So, um, but, yeah, I totally, totally agree. I mean, you know, in the U.S. Arena Cross Series, like, they have the lights class and the Arena Cross class. Well, they're all riding the same bikes. They might as well just have one class and then have a B final for the dudes that aren't fast enough to make the actual main event, right? Like, it's the same thing with different riders but it's the same machine same size cc of bike yeah so it doesn't like make any sense, identical but. motorcycles um yeah. make makes make doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me uh no. I, I, I i thought it was so funny because like uh i think you did ride the the arena crosses that came to winnipeg in 2004 2005 if i'm not mistaken yeah, totally. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and I, I raced the 250 junior class, and my dad had to laugh because it it was the absolute quietest class, other than the 250 beginner class that went out there. Because riders that like we just like riding a 252 stroke in the friendly confines of a of a NHL hockey arena. There's literally like yeah. around rah rah. <laughs> It sounded like the totally. 50 class because there, there was like you, you couldn't, you never wanted to get on the gas hard. And the first, the first year you guys came there, the the finish line was actually at the end of a set of whoops, which for me was like just 
so scary. Uh, and you yeah. guys made that thing look way too easy. But uh, um, that like rolling rolling through that whoop section on a KX two fifty two stroke two thousand five edition, which you'd know quite well, uh, was no yep. was 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 very difficult for me. And I I think I did so as about as quietly as humanly possible. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. So, yeah, those were the old days, and I don't expect to see those around anytime uh, coming back around anytime soon. So, it is, uh, it is what it is for now. Yes, sir, my friend. Well, uh, Ryan, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show once again. Um, you, you're you're a great guest, and I love the stories that we share, my friend. Um, if you, if you could uh, let people know where they can find you on social media, as well as fo- uh, follow along with uh, with Atlas Brace as you guys continue to make that an awesome product. Yeah, for sure. Well, obviously, Atlas Brace is uh, at Atlas Brace is the the Instagram and stuff. So, always posting stuff on there and contests and uh, my own personal social media, which I probably don't do enough uh, enough with. It's like a full time job. I don't know how some of these kids find the time to do it, but I'm at the News Nine. So, uh, um, yeah, check it out and uh, get me some more followers. Perfect, my friend. Well, uh, as always, really appreciate the time, my friend. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely connect again before uh, February 24th, where uh, the, the Triple Crown Series starts uh, in, in, uh, in Abbotsford, B.C. I expect you to be on the line. I will be. Yeah, yeah. I'll give it. Uh, I'll give it a go and see how it uh, how it pans out. And um, looking forward to racing with some new uh, new guys and and whatnot. It's also part of our Future West series, um, the final round. So, 100%. I'll be there and uh, hopefully put it in the show and, and see what happens. Awesome, man. Well, uh, as always, thank you very much for for making time for us today. Um, don't hang up just yet. For podcast sake, we're gonna cut it off right there. Thank you. <laughs>